Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Well, good morning. This is a good day. Duke got beat. That makes my day, you know. So, yeah. The only thing good about Duke, if you get rid of the D and the E, you got UK. That's the only good thing about it, yeah. A couple of three things before you're turning to the 23rd chapter of the book of Proverbs. <coughs> uh, uh, Vicki, you, you women who go to Alice Kay and Vicki Lewis's Bible study, she's wanting to have a, a luncheon for you folks at some beer joint. And... Uh, <laughs> and she's threatened me if I said that, so you know how that goes. But anyway, you'll get an email or a text or something uh, telling you where, when, and what it's going to cost you because even though she's uh, independently wealthy, she's going to make you all pay for your own. And so, Now, just a word. I'm not looking for much sympathy, but uh, if I don't shake hands with you, please don't fuss at me because I've got two really sore hands. Uh, I took a dive Monday, and, and the uh, blacktop won. It was three to nothing in their favor. So anyway, my hands are really, really sore, so elbow bumps are going to have to work. Several of you have asked about the upcoming Sunday night. Six, uh, we'll meet at 6 o'clock or 6.30, I forget what it is, on Sunday night for a while. Uh, doing an independent study on how to study the Bible. Don't get the idea simply because we use the words like apologetics and hermeneutics and so on and so forth, which are really words that are meant for uh, seminary students. It, it's really easily uh, what we're going to, it's not over the head of anybody. If you're a junior high student, it, it wouldn't be over your head. You'd perfectly be welcomed and you can understand it. Um, so, let's see, I, what I had in my notes was from junior high to almost dead, anybody in that category could fit in. Now, uh, for those of you who may be first-timers here at church, uh, if you'll go out to the table on the, the uh, welcome table on the way out, there's a little gift for you and some other information. Those books for, for making, because the preaching that's going to start here <clears throat> Easter and following is going to be in conjunction with what the youngsters are doing and on the on, from the, the using the book really as a as a kind of a uh, guide uh, that Lee Strobel's book A Case for Christ we bought I think 48 of them they're for sale out there at six bucks a piece that's what it cost us I think we're making a penny so and that'll all go to the Ministerial Relief Fund. Are you guys awake? You know, <laughs> jeez. Okay, the text that we have here from the book of Proverbs is Solomon talking to one of his children. Probably, it, w it was probably uh, the son that would uh, succeed him. Now, in all fairness... He didn't have much better luck than most of the rest of us because his son didn't listen to a word he said, even though he went to the trouble to make sure he would. And you know as well as I do that parents 
try to guide their children, in most instances, try to guide their children so that they won't make the same stupid mistakes that we made. And, uh, and, and, and so often they don't listen because our world says, ah, they're old codgers and the, the world is past. But people are people. We don't change much. And the same circumstances that we grew up with, all right, the atmosphere is different, but the circumstances are essentially the same if you'll just pay attention. And by the way, I got a complaint that I want to make before I dive into this text. I'm sick and tired. I'm going to have a hissy fit. Do you ever see anybody have a hissy fit? Hissy fits are really bad. They're ugly. And you want me to have one? Not right now. Okay. But anyway, and here's what I'm upset about. I'm upset that God is continuing, by people here, God is being blamed for things he didn't do. And because the whole concept of evil and Satan has been kind of brushed aside based on a, a silliness that came uh, back in the early 1900s that man is essentially good, and so uh, they changed the name of prisons to rehab places and so on, which is all just a bunch of baloney. Evil exists. Satanic influences exist. And God gets blamed for that because nobody talks about evil. Evil is real. If you, if you can't figure that out just by looking at what's going on in Ukraine and, and Putin, and you know, Putin might as well grow horns because he's an evil individual. And what you need to understand is the things that I have just had a fit about for the last X number of years is the whole concept of socialism and Mark, or just Marxism in all of its levels is an evil philosophy that is opposed to God and to the Christian enterprise. And what we've, we've allowed the, the left-wing media to brainwash us, and we don't understand that if you want to fix our country, it'll not be fixed politically. It won't. But if enough if we can win enough people to Christ to pursue the principles of the kingdom of God and bring them on our country, it'll get straightened out, honestly. And, and you, we have to understand that. The less influence the kingdom principles have had in our world for the last X number of years, the worse off we become. And the whole concept of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what, the promise was if you do that, the good, all the good things will come after that. That's what we call doing a, a root cause analysis of the problem. And uh, so I'm not going to have a hissy fit today, but if you keep pushing that, and you're going to see one. And uh, I make John the Baptist look like a Sunday school teacher in a... Well, let's, let's get back to the text. We've gone far enough. Verse 26, it says here, he's talking to his son, and he says... My son, give me your heart, which is northern Kentucky talk. For, set up and listen for a change. Give me both of your ears. And let your eyes keep to my ways. Listen to me for a change. And then he talks about, the, the uh, and he says, for a prostitute is a deep pit, it's a, meaning a grave, and a wayward wife is a narrow well. Now, I don't know why I did this or when I did it, but right out from that, I put it in my text, in my Bible, a big amen. And, and, uh, so why would he say this? 
It's because in the ancient world, up until now, really, the whole concept of sexual fidelity to a one man, one woman thing, was that was something that Jesus brought and put on the table that didn't exist before that. It was common knowledge among um, the, the pagan world where Jesus brought this concept that a man was supposed to have a wife to take care of the children and da-da-da-da-da, and he also had a prostitute that he went to see in the afternoon. That's why even in many South American countries and in many European countries today, there's, there's a break in the afternoon, and that afternoon is when the guys went to see the prostitute. That started way back before Jesus' show. The whole culture was bent in that, and their religion was bent in that, in that direction. For instance, the primary gods and goddesses of that day were, were essentially, uh, well, they were for the purpose of, of uh, producing uh, not just children, but they were related sex to any kind of, uh, even their agricultural world. But their gods, for instance, if you were to go to Rome, the sex god there was named Venus, and there was a temple there for, Tina, for Venus, and, and if, if you had difficulty getting pregnant, you'd go there and da-da-da-da-da. Or if you wanted to get Venus's favor, you would send your daughters there to become temple prostitutes. I mean, as uncomfortable as this may make some of you with, with Catholic families, the whole concept of nuns and so on came out of that pagan thing rather than uh, from the New Testament. And I'll get letters about that, but so be it. So that, that whole idea, and so if you went to Ephesus, and this is in your New Testament, it would be the goddess Diana. If you went to Corinth, and Corinth was a seaport city, and on top of the hill there, there was a temple to Aphrodite. In the evenings, the historians say that a thousand sacred prostitutes came down off of that Acropolis into the city of Corinth, which was uh, just a lot of sailors were there, and you know how that goes. And these were both men and women prostitutes came down and, and pried their trade there. In Israel, when Israel... When the Jews came in to conquer Israel, they were told, get rid of everybody here because there were, temple worship there was for the Baal and the, and the Astaroth. Astaroth was a pole and the temples, the high places that were there. That it really came out of Egypt initially. But these were fertility gods. That's what they were called. And, uh, and so when Israel disobeyed God, came into Israel, they were told, you know, get rid of these people because, the, and, and, and the liberals today say, well, that's, that God is a killer, blah, 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 blah. Now listen to me, here's what the problem was. Israel in Egypt for 430 years had, had essentially been keepers of the flocks, primarily cows. And, and so when they, when they came out of uh, Egypt into the promised land to claim it, they were not farmers. They didn't know, they'd been brickmakers for a while too, but they, they were not farmers. They left the Palestinians there and they became their neighbors. They started intermarrying. And the Israelites would, would uh, have a garden. Their garden, they didn't know how to raise anything. 
the Palestinians over here had been farmers forever, and their garden would just grow and grow and grow. And so the Israelite would go over and say, well, what's the difference? Why, can't my, why isn't my farm or why isn't my garden growing like yours? The Palestinian would say, it's because my God is a fertility God. And he causes, we worship him and he makes our crops grow. And if you were to go down to the, and so if you were to go down and worship uh, this, your, your garden would grow too. And so here's a young man. He goes down to the temple fertility God, and here's the temple prostitute, and you know what happens from there. He's seduced, and the first, first thing you know, it's, it's a horrible mess. And, the, and the, the God who created heaven and earth then is set aside... And they started worshiping the Baal and the Astaroth. And most of the Old Testament is filled with that, that history. So I'm not telling you anything that isn't new. <coughs> now, <coughs> excuse me, with that background, you should understand that, that uh, when, when uh, Solomon is, is addressing this to his son, that principle has been the same. Now, all through time, and it's here today, you know, it, it really is. If you just listen to what happened at Disney last week, this past week, it, you, you ought to get the idea. It, what they said, what they've come out with as a corporate policy is anti-Christian, anti-family. It's just really disgusting. And if you got any of their stock, sell it and send them a letter and tell them why. So what I'm trying to do here is to say, look, I want to get to the root cause of the problem. The commentators that, that I read this week, who are, who are people that some of them I know, have said, okay, you need to spend your time as a preacher talking about pornography because that's supposed to be the big root cause of, of sexual problems among men in particular. I don't know about women. I do know about men. And, and, and probably that is, a, but I don't think pornography is the root cause I think there's a spiritual dynamic back of that that's underneath of it that if it were straightened out the pornography would go away because I'll be honest with you I've never seen anything I've not seen much I've never seen any pornography except in one case Paula was working on the on the computer doing some research for me and all of a sudden a naked woman popped up on the screen with her butt sticking out there on it so that's as far as I got in in looking at at pornographic stuff on I guess it's there if you know where to look but I just don't have any desire for it and um, so I want to I want to talk about the root cause and how can as Christians I'm not and if you're not a Christian now you just sit and endure this because this isn't for you this is for people who believe that Jesus is the Christ, and, and I want you to go with that. We're talking about the, the title that Matthew gave me was Controlling Lust. That's, and if you don't have your bulletin, you probably need to go back there and get one so you can follow along. Because and, and, uh, I've got to hustle. These, these, these two women up here, one of them is my daughter-in-law, have oral diarrhea, and they took up a lot of my preaching time. And so I've got to try to cut this thing short so we can get it all done here. All right. The, here's, here's what you need to know. The New Testament was originally written in Greek, and I'll, this will make sense in a minute. 
There's some Aramaic words there, but it's generally like when Jesus was on the cross, Eloi, 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 was was uh, Aramaic probably. The Old Testament was written originally in Hebrew, but it was later translated into Greek in about 200 B.C. in the city of Alexandria there in Egypt. The Apostle Paul used primarily the Septuagint, which is what the translation of the Old Testament into Greek is called. And you'll see an LXX once in a while, and uh, that stands for the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul used that in his preaching because of the great influence that Alexander the Great had brought to the Near Eastern world. And And the word for lust... In Greek, that is there, I have put there in your, for you to look at. Now, I don't expect you to remember it, but if you look at it, it's, it's two words together, epi, E-P-I, and then thumii. Okay, that, this, this word is often translated lust in the Bible when it has any reference to sexual immorality. But that same word can be used for good. It just, it's just a word. So here's the problem we have. In translating the Bible into English, there are some Greek words that we do not have an English equivalent for. And so you, what you do is you, in, in, you get the closest you can and keep it in context so that you can get the meaning even though the words aren't word for word. And that's, what, that's the, the problem we run into in translation. I, I don't know a thing about Hebrew. I've taught, actually taught Greek for a year or two, but I don't know much about Hebrew. So I'm, I'm stuck with the, with the Greek text. In the New Testament, there were illustrations. I could have given you more, but I gave you three, and I'm going through them quickly, illustrations of how this one word that is often translated lust can be translated differently in a different context. It, it, it simply, if I were translating this word epithumia that's translated lust in the Scripture often, I would translated intense desire he have an intense desire whether it's for good or for bad it, it is that uh, overwhelming desire and this and this hang with me now because this is going to make sense I hope in a few minutes when Jesus was had came um, finally came out of Galilee down to Jerusalem and and had on the his triumphal entry and all that kind of stuff, he said to his disciples, I would like to celebrate the Passover meal with you all one more time before I die. When he said, I would like to do, the word that he used, the Greek word is epithumia, which means I have an intense desire to celebrate the Passover with you guys one more time. Why? Because it was at the Passover that he intended to institute the Lord's Supper. And so he had intense desire. Same word that's used for lust is used here for a good thing. Now the Apostle Paul used that same word uh, when you go over to the, in the Philippians, the first chapter, he's talking about whether he lived or died because, and I don't have time to get the background here, but he said, I have an intense desire to be with Christ. But if he was to be with Christ, he would have to die. So he said, I have an intense desire. Same word that's used for lust, this intense desire. 
is to be with Christ, to die and be with Christ. But it's more important for the church that I stay here and preach. Same word. And then if you go over into the, uh, into the book of First uh, Thessalonians, the apost- or, yeah, First Thessalonians, second chapter, verse 17, the apostle Paul says the same thing. And here it's often translated, I have a strong longing, or I have a longing to be with you people, to see you guys. And, and he uses that term. It's the same word that's used for lust, but it, so it can be used for good or it can be used for bad. That's, that's what you run into in translating all the time. Now, we need to look at a few passages quickly here where the word epithumia is used in reference to bad things. Because the same word, there's nothing wrong with the word, but it can be used according to the context of what he's addressing here. And, and, and I'm going to actually look at some scriptures here for you as we go, so you'll have to hang on to your hats. I'm going to move pretty quickly. And uh, I'll take care of uh, Kayla and uh, her sister after church for taking all my time. And that'll be fun. Are you awake? I just wonder. You're awake, aren't you? That's all right. I can depend on you. Okay. The Bible actually says concerning this intense desire for things that are bad is we should put them to death as Christians. That's what we need to do. Now, the word death means what? Thanatos, I told you before, means what? Separation. And so he's saying you, you need to be separated from these evil desires. You need to make a conscious effort of that. And here in the fifth verse he, of the book of Colossians, of the third chapter, he says, and I quote, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. This is the nature that you had before you were converted. Sexual immorality, and he names them, sexual immorality, impurity, lust. There's the word, epithumia. Evil desire, same word, and greed, which is idolatry. And because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now he's talking about judgment in the time to come. So what he's saying, you need, we need to be conscious of, of, of the evil stuff that we've had in our past. And all of us had because of what does Romans 3.23 say? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there's no room for finger pointing. It is, if anything, it's a helping hand to help each other overcome the things that the Bible calls our besetting sins. Now, in, in the book of Thessalonians, and, and most of that uh, book is about uh, the second coming and things like that, but here we're talking about, the, in, um, in 1 Thessalonians 4, we'll look at, at that same thing, because he's talking about the pagan and heathen practices that we had a passionate lust for. Before we became Christians, all of us, I don't know what it would be, one of us, in, in mine, I honestly think that the thing that I had the greatest passion for was to get rich. Does that make sense? I was probably greedy. Now, did I hold a sign around and show everybody I'm greedy? Heck no, I didn't want anybody to know that. But in my inner self, deep down, because we were trying to educate five children so when they got out of school, they wouldn't have any school bills and da-da-da-da-da. Um, and, and that's hard to do. I, probably impossible now if you didn't hit the lottery. And did I buy a lottery ticket or two? Yeah, I wait till it gets up to about 100 million because I really still want to get rich. 
Are you there? Okay, well, confession's good for the soul. So what, what he's talking, and listen to how he described, this is in, in, in the fourth chapter in verses 3 through 5. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now, trust me here. There are images of sanctification that are not very tasteful to people, especially non-Christians. Because we've gotten the idea that a sanctified person, which is the same as a holy person, the word sanctified means to be set apart for a particular thing. That's the, that's the meaning, literal meaning of the Greek word. Being set apart for a particular thing. So he says, and we have been. Well, you and I have, as Christians, have been set aside. And so what, what have we been set aside for? To go to heaven? Yeah, but not, that's not the big reason. The big reason we've been set aside by, by God when we became Christians is so that he would have somebody to represent him in a, in a pagan world. That's, what we, that's why God set you aside. Your primary purpose for existing as a follower of Jesus Christ is to show the world who our God is by the attitude and the behavior that we, that we live on a daily basis. So he goes on and says here, It is God's will that we should be set apart, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Now see, we see that word holy again. Hagiazo means, is the Greek word for holiness. That's a verb form. And, and holiness in the history of the church means that some woman has to wear a dress that covers her ankles, pile enough hair on top of her head that a buzzard could build a nest in it, and that's to look holy. Don't paint the barn. You know, you don't put, you don't put anything on your face. Hey, look. I'm for painting barns. If you need it, get it and put it on. I would much rather have a pretty woman than an ugly one. You know, and, and I, I probably better move on. But, in, but you get the idea. You get the idea. Holiness is not the outward expression. In the Bible, holiness is what happens inside you that is then expressed. And, and if you're expressing something that's not in here, you are a hypocrite. You're pretending to be something you're not. So he's wanting the whole thing to happen from the inside out and not the outside in. That's what he's talking about here. And some of these desires of the flesh that we were born with and that, we, and that have gotten worse until we're converted. And then when we're converted, it becomes a different problem. But the scripture actually says, and Paul is writing to a young preacher named Timothy who is to succeed him primarily in Ephesus and uh, where he spent most of his time in the latter part of his life. He, he actually says to Timothy in the sixth chapter starting at verse 9 that these, these longings or these intense desires for whether it's greed or pornography or sexual immorality of any kind, what he does here. And see, this is the reason the New Testament, now listen to this, because this is really where we've messed up big time. That's the reason the New Testament says, don't be unequally yoked together, believer with unbeliever, because you have two different worldviews. You have one person who is not a Christian who is governed by the lust of the flesh. You have another person who's a Christian over here 
who is governed by the Bible and the Holy Spirit. And those two, they have nothing in common. And yet, if it's a Christian woman marrying a non-Christian man and the women, they, they pick. I mean, you men think you do the picking. You're not kidding anybody. You've been smoking dope if you really believe that. The women do the picking. And they, the reason they do their picking is a woman looks at a man and she, she thinks, if this, this clod, if he can provide me a nest to build my children and raise my babies and so on and so forth, I'll take him, even though sometimes they're ugly in a mud fence. She, if, she still ha, if, he still, if she still has that sense of security, then she'll pick him and take, drag him down the aisle and they call it marriage. So, but, but the problem is we never look at the things that really matter. What really matters is, will that guy be faithful to me until death? Pick the woman, will she be faithful to me to death? And most of them won't. I hate to tell you this. Biggest problem I have in all my ministry has been negotiating difficulties between immorality in, in some way or the other. You know. And so... The Apostle Paul says, these lust things, lust of the flesh. Listen to what he says here, because this is really kind of important. And then I'll move on as quickly as I can. Starting at verse 9. Hocusy, pocusy. Here he goes. People who want to get rich fall into, I picked this because of what I confess. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil. And when he uses this word, harmful desires, epithumia. That same word. An intense desire to get rich. That's why we buy lottery tickets, isn't it? In all honesty, we want to be rich. Yeah, I haven't run into very many people Maybe none who say, I want to be poor. Yeah, it doesn't hardly exist. But a lot of them who go in the other direction. Now, what we're talking about here that we need to get settled so there isn't that much point, finger pointing is it's normal behavior for the unconverted. It is normal behavior for the unconverted. It really is. And what, how is that behavior described? Well, it's in the fifth chapter of the, the book of Galatians. And these, these are called the, the, the desires of the flesh. In verse 16, it says, So I will live by the Spirit and will not gratify the desires, epithumia, of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires, epithumia, what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. Now, the acts, verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature. Here's, here's the thing that, that we are to some degree in one category or another before we become Christians. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity or debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, that was common in Africa even yet today, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. That's a hissy fit. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, 
as I did before, that those who live by this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that puts it in a critical category. Behavior does count. Because if nothing's happened in here, our behavior out here will not change for long. Short term, yeah. Because the power of the sinful nature is strong. You need to understand that. That's why it's called an intense desire. And if you married a sinner, guess what? Sinners sin. That's normal for them. It's just like the devil. If you read what the Bible says about the devil, is that he's a liar and a murderer. And when he talks, he lies because that's what liars do. They lie. What do sinners do? They sin. And you and I, as Christians, are called to be different. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. Sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where the difference makes us stand out. I don't think it should be by the dress, necessarily, like some churches think it is. The holiness movement in the church was, well, was needed, but I think it went the wrong direction. I think they were more concerned about the outside appearance than they were the condition of the heart. And we need change from the inside out. Now, when you become a Christian, when you and I accepted Christ, admitted we were sinners, and the Bible says at that point in time, a war begins. And the, and the war is about what we were changing into what we ought to be to please God. And the two ain't the same. Pardon my grammar. It, it's a real war. The Bible teaches here that, it, that it's, it's a struggle. Now, there's two. I gave you two scriptures. I'll read... Uh, in the seventh chapter of Romans is probably the best. Starting here at verse 23, here's what he says. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war. Waging war. So if you find yourself as a Christian struggling with a, with a particular sin, understand that's the way it works. The devil doesn't waste his time on sinners. They're already in his corner. So where should he direct? You always direct your attention towards your opponent. If you're watching basketball, you ought to have figured this out yet. Already have that figured, you know. You give your, and good defense always wins. Always wins. Because once in a while, you can't hit the broad side of a barn. Anyway, I, I just need to tell you that to get it off my system. I don't hear you snoring, but I know you're there. You know, hang on to me now. We're not, we're not done yet. Here's the problem we're facing. This war that goes on within us, and if you go over to the Hebrews 12, 4, it actually doesn't say war. It says a struggle. Same principle. We as Christians struggle with overcoming what we were before we were Christians that didn't honor God. overcoming and all of us have that besetting sin if we're honest whether it's greed that I've struggled with whatever it is it, it is there now so th that being the case Christians are urged in Scripture 
to fight those evil desires that we inherit from our past life. In, if you look at it in, in 2 Peter, uh, uh, let's say, no, it's 1 Peter 2.11, I believe it is. Let me look and see, make sure I'm right. 1 Peter 2.11, it says to abstain or to stop. Make an effort to stop. That's those things that do not please God. Because ultimately, we're answered to God. Ultimately, we're answered to God. You see, when we become Christians, He puts His divine presence in us to assist us in overcoming what we couldn't do on our own. And, and we get more than that. Christians are to help and encourage each other. That's why we're to confess our faults one to another and pray for one another to help us overcome. Because it's a real war. It's a struggle. It's not easy. And some people never get off of first base. They get stuck there. So we're, when Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul knew he was going to die. So he said to this young preacher who was to succeed him primarily in the area of Ephesus there in what's modern-day Turkey, he told him, he said, you're a young guy. He was probably just out of his teen years. He said, you flee from your youthful lust. Because when we're young, you know, that's when those strong desires are there. And they never really leave us. We just learn how to hide them better. That's the reason they say to old guys who get sexually involved, they're no fool like an old fool, you know, or dirty old men. There's truth to that. There really is. So he, they, they, they've never gotten over that struggle of overcoming sin. And if you're not a Christian, well, you're stuck. You don't have any, you don't have any assistance in overcoming it. So, all right, here's, here's where I want to wind up here. Uh, yeah, I'm going to make it. I've had it in road gear, so you'll have to kind of forgive me for that. We're going to talk about something now that, uh, that traditionally in most of our mainline churches in particular, you just don't hear anything about, even though there's a lot of church history about it. The Methodist church started with the Wesley brothers, who were Episcopal priests. The Episcopal church, at the time, they, you, you couldn't tell by the life they lived whether a man was a Christian or whether he wasn't. And so they started what, what we call today the holiness movement. And the emphasis was on, here's the steps one, two, three, four. This is the method by which you will cease to be like sinners and start living like believers. And that's why it was called the Methodist Church. And within the Methodist Church, which now the upper end of it has gone left wing, there, there comes along the, the Church of the Nazarene. And unfortunately, their Bible colleges are moving to the left as well. And you have Pentecostal holiness, so on and so Now, that whole concept of holiness has been needed in the church. But in too many instances, it was misunderstood and, and the idea of changing from the inside out um, was not given enough attention. Now, here's why holiness. Holiness means what? That you've been set apart by God to represent him. That's what it means. Be ye holy, the Bible says, because God is holy. And if you're going to emulate God and show people who He is by the life we live, we have to be, we have to be holy. Actually, 
There's no way around it. Forget about what you hear in public as, as holiness. And just remember what the scripture says, because if you don't, you're going to get irritated and misled. But here in the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews, he, he addresses the problem of holiness. And in verse 14, listen to what he says. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. Now, hang on. And he goes on to say, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So how can it not be important? What he's saying here in Scripture is we need to raise the bar of what a Christian should be in, our, in a pagan culture. What he's saying is we need to be different. And when you go over into the book of, of, of Corinthians, and which is really, Corinth, as I've told you, was really a pagan society with a thousand uh, prostitutes coming down off of the Acropolis every day to ply their trade. But here in 2 uh, Corinthians, the second letter that Paul wrote, uh, starting at, let's say, chapter 6, starting at verse, what, 17? Yeah. Well, let me go above it. Let's, let's start just above it. Here's what he says. Now, he's talking to us who are Christians. Quit pointing your finger at the bad guys who are not Christians yet. He says this, For we are the temple of the living God. Your body is the temple of the living God. This cockeyed building will burn down. it fall down one of these days. It means nothing. As God has said, I will live with them and walk with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Now, hang on. Here's what he says. Therefore, which means what? Sit up and pay attention. I got something important to say. Therefore, come out from them and be ye separate. And the word separate here is, is the same as, as being dead to the, to the old life and alive in the new life. I'm going to live my life as best I can, as hard as I can, according to the principles of the kingdom of God, and I don't care what anybody says. Okay? So what does holiness look like? The Bible is very clear. Just like it, it, it clarified in that fifth chapter of the book of, of Galatians, it clarified what the old life, where the intense desires to, to obey the natural things of the flesh look like. Right after that, he tells us what it looks like if we're going to live according to the principles of the kingdom of God. Here's what he says. Now, this is in the, in the fifth chapter. Uh, of the book of Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is. The fruit of the Spirit is when you become a Christian, you bury the old man. That's why baptism by immersion is important because it pictures a dead guy being buried so that you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Okay, so this new creature in Christ Jesus is, has been set apart for the purpose of representing the God that we serve. And here are the principles of that kingdom. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the reason those are important, as I said, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and its epithumia, its desires. 
And if you crucify something, you de- it's dead. The old person that you were is dead. And, and, and you breathe new life. And when you come up out of the waters of baptism, the picture is here to illustrate. That's why baptism is used as a, to illustrate a principle or two. Is the old man is dead. You're a new preacher. And, and when you come up out of the water, the first thing you do is what? You breathe. And when you breathe, the picture is that with that incoming breath comes the presence of the living God called the Holy Spirit. And now you have the assistance of the Holy Spirit to live a set-apart life. He's not talking about stupid stuff that, uh, that makes you look weird. He's talking about the character qualities of Jesus. Nothing short of that. And when you and I live daily according to the character qualities of Jesus, you can say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If we can raise the bar for the church to be more than just pew sitters who who do a few good works here and there and everywhere, all of which is good, but we got to raise the bar to the extent that we are committed to showing the world what a set-apart person for Jesus Christ looks like. He loves the Lord. He loves people. There's the joy unspeakable and full of glory that comes from knowing that you're going to go to heaven when you die. And they could go on. I could spend a lot of time there. But the Apostle Paul said this in the book of Colossians. And the book is is a brief book. You can read it quickly. In in the book of Colossians, uh, one in the first chapter here. Hocusy pocusy. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, your hope of glory. Christ in you means the character qualities of Christ can be seen in us on a daily basis. And Christians are called to be just exactly that. That's the most important thing. You, there, all this other religious stuff, it's okay, I guess. But most of it's a waste of time. If we can get to the place where we set the bar high enough that people can actually see the character qualities of Christ in us on a daily basis, they'll press into the kingdom. You don't have to have a revival meeting. You'll take care of yourself. People are looking, well, they want our country to change. All of us do. We're headed in the wrong direction. Everybody confesses that. It has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with all of us suffering under godless types of political philosophy. But if we can get enough people to press into the kingdom of God and to start living Christ-like lives, Quit your complaining and start directing your energies. You have an intense desire, epithumia, to be like Jesus. We teach our children these little songs that we really need to sing ourselves once in a while. What is this? Be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little tongue, what you say. It's a little course that we teach our children. But that's the first step that we take in being a set-apart person without being weird. Nobody 
looks weird because of loving like Jesus loved. I was talking to my first wife this morning. I said, you know what I'd like to do? If we get a little extra money in the, in the kitty for the needy people, I'd like to go down to Kroger's and, and buy about half a dozen of those warm chickens. Boy, they are good. Those suckers, you just rip you off a piece and eat it. It's really, really good. And, and while it's still warm, take them and hand them to these guys with their little sign down there. Just, you know, I'm a veteran and I'm hungry or whatever they say. One of them says just a little change. I don't give them anything, to be honest with you. But after we have a meal here, I, all the leftovers I pile up and put in a little one of these things, and I drop them off to those guys. And, and you know, I've, a couple of them have almost given me this when I walk by. They, they, and it didn't cost anything. It was just leftovers. And these, these really good chickens are what? Six bucks a piece? They'll be eight by tomorrow, but the way things are going. But right now, they're about six bucks a piece. And take them and give them to these guys, and they'll sit there and eat that stuff. And, and, and you can, I put a little church card in them just to sneak it in, you know. But would they be welcome if they showed up here? I think you would. But we have to think about those things, folks. We've got to rise above just thinking about ourselves. If Jesus had only thought about himself, he never would have gone to the cross. If we're going to be like him, we've got to quit thinking just, we've got to quit being, pardon me, selfish jerks and become like Jesus. We need to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. If we can begin to do that, we not only will glorify the God that we love, but we can change the world in which we live. Well, I'm, I'm tired, and I'm done, and I haven't had a pissy fit yet. So let's pray together. Let you get out of here. Father, I thank you so much that you love us, and you're so patient with us, and I'm so grateful. Help us, oh God, I pray, as we try to help each other. Rise above just being pew-sitters and churchgoers and become representatives of the kingdom of God. We pray toward that end in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You're free to go. Well, maybe not free. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.